1: He's going to throw it. Howard leaps.
0: He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go.
1: Snap
0: back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's fire
1: with a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupik. give gives off to Amos. Amos. He's got it, he's it, he's got it, he's Jordan back to kick, it's blocked again, picked up. It'll be a touchdown Carolina for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14-13. Mr. Jordan, beat Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26th. Heading to the far side, Gio at the 35, Gio, he's at the 50, no he's not, yes he is, Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown, are you kidding me? This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnotta with you guys as always and we're here to welcome in Josh Marlowe who will be going along with us for this signing day previous to Buddy. uh, You know I know signing day is not what it used to be but are you at least somewhat excited for Wednesday?
0: Oh yeah, it's always an exciting day because you're adding, you know, new new players to the the family and and the program, and just wanted another day to get excited for Carolina football. And you know, we've said every week there's been something, and we have something this week to get excited about again. So always looking forward to a signing day, uh, especially now with Mac Brown as the head coach again.
1: And there are some storylines that, of course, do not revolve around the 2019 class, and that's where we're going to start before we get into the signing day preview. Opening drop. The Tar Heels landed two major 2020 targets over the weekend. It started out on Friday with three-star offensive guard Malik McGowan from right in the Charlotte area. That's the third commitment in the Charlotte area so far in the 2020 class. So the focus for Mac Brown, and really I would say for Dre Bly, who was a big guy in this area, they've really taken over. Tim, uh, Tim Brewster has had a big effect as well as Tommy Thigpen, who was recruiting this area last year for the Tar Heels, and Malik McGowan was one of those guys he visited during the week and then, uh, of course, committed on Friday. The Charlotte Catholic senior so far has started all 47 games of his high school career, and he could very well break the state record for career starts next season if Charlotte Catholic wins yet another state title. He's won back-to-back state championships. He has the size to play immediately. Kid that's uh, about 6'4", 315 pounds, played left tackle. Of course, he will move inside to guard at the next level and he plays in a wing T offense meaning he is an excellent run blocker but does have some concerns with the pass protection that'll be something that I'm assuming the staff will definitely have to work on with him. It's probably one of the reasons that he's seen as probably a work in progress when he gets to Carolina because he hasn't been faced with so many pass protection schemes. Then on Saturday they land the four star inside linebacker Ethan West. This was a guy that was very highly touted. A ton of SEC offers including LSU and Florida Carolina ends up landing him after he took a visit on Thursday. He has great speed that will allow him to fit perfectly in Jay Bateman's defense. He's a guy that's going to get sideline to sideline, and we've heard that so much with this Jay Bateman defense. Sideline to sideline and open field tackling. That's the thing he wants in his guys that are linebackers or hybrids, and that's the fit that Ethan West is. He played all over the field this past year um, at Cosby High School, which is actually where uh, the basketball guard, Kenny Williams went to high school in Midlothian, Virginia. A little bit of an interesting statistic there. He's also a three-year starter so far as well. So the Carolina with two guys that have been starting since their freshman year, guys that are experienced and have played a lot. So they won't be, uh, you know, really guys that will be projects. And Carolina's class now ranks 17th. They moved up to 15th at one point, but have slid back just a little bit with some of the other commitments that have happened around them. But still, 17th right now overall in the country in the 2020 class as well as fourth in the ACC, which is pretty good. You know, the ACC really has improved their recruiting over the last few seasons, and it is hard to recruit on the level that Clemson's recruiting right now, and of course, Florida State and Miami are doing in the state of Florida, where there is just so much talent down there. But when you look at what they've done so far in the 2020 class, now four guys committed already. This is something that we didn't see the last few years under Larry Fedora. Early in his tenure, he was looking ahead and was able to recruit well in some of the classes that you were go, that that were ahead of the cycle that he was currently on. But Mac Brown's taking this to a new level. This class ranked 17th right now. I mean, that's that's got to be something that's encouraging to Tario fans now.
0: Yeah, I mean he's. <laughs> He's backing up on the promises he made that he's going to up the recruiting in state. You know, you've already said we got three in-state prospects, all from the Charlotte area yeah, too. So. Um, where there's this is a hotbed for college football talent mm-hmm. now with the these programs that have taken football seriously, and he's really just trying to lock down every region of the state. Um, it's going to take time with schools like Clemson and Georgia already invading this area, but I do think over time he's going to get it done and and really start keeping the talent home. And it's time that it gets starts getting talked about. Okay, this. this. This is why we hired you. You know, everyone questioned the hire. Well, you're going to get the in-state talent to stay here. Larry Fedor couldn't win any state in any talent. So just excited to see that and just to see where that class is going to go because that the 17th already, if he's doing what he's doing with this 19th class, with the whole 2020 class – the 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 sky's the limit for those guys on the recruiting trail.
1: And both of the guys, they were there were articles on Tar Heel Illustrated, which is the rivals group that of course covers uh, the Tar Heels religiously. Andrew Jones and his guys do a great job over there. And they said in the article, it just feels like a family environment, and that's something that we've heard from every single commit that is committed, whether in the 2019 class or 20 class. So I think you're right; it's something that's definitely building pretty quickly, and Mac Brown is really starting to gain a. Little Little bit of attention. I mean, are you with me where you think that the national writers and some of these guys that cover recruiting, they've really got to
0: start taking notice of what Mac Brown and his staff are doing? If they don't, they're not doing their job good enough. So, I mean, I, I mean, you know, at, at some point they're going to have to recognize look what he did in 19 with two months on the recruiting trail, and now look what he's doing in in 2020 for a guy that the game's passing by, doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the passion, the work ethic to to run a football program. So if not, we're going to have some issues with some writers. Yeah,
1: so we turn to the signing day preview, and you talked about the 2019 class. It's not quite set in stone yet. Of course, the early signees, you had 19 guys headlined by, of course, in-state quarterback Sam Howell and state offensive tackle Tristan Miller, who were both early signing day, the first day of signing day, commits. Now they turn to the late signing period where 3 uh, guys who have already committed on the trail are expected to commit. That'll be the offensive guard uh, Ty, Mom, uh, Ty Murray, excuse me, that uh, comes from the state of Georgia. You've got Raymond Vojacek, the defensive end out of uh, Illinois. He was a guy that was a Juco and then of course the Keels went out to the West Coast and of course last week landed the 2019 safety Don Chapman. So now they turn to signing day. Of course National Signing Day pretty much the same as Early Signing Day. Letters can be sent in from 7 until 4 o'clock but like with Early Signing Day, Mac Brown's going to start his press conference at 3 so he's expecting everybody that will be signing in the class to be in by 3 o'clock ESPN's coverage on that day if you guys want to watch it it's only going to be 12 to 2 p.m. because there is roughly about 30 percent of the guys that remain uncommitted actually might even be less than that at this point Um, so not quite on the same level now as early signing day that's the big day for ESPN Uh, Mac Brown signing day press conference as we mentioned will start at 3 probably about an hour long and then they'll turn around and do the signing day celebration uh, in the blue zone at 6 o'clock you guys uh, if you do have season tickets you may be entered for a chance to win. Um, Also, I think, you know, of course, any Rams club members will be there and in attendance. So when you look at this class, comes in 33rd in the country right now, 6th in the ACC. Uh, Major targets to keep an eye on for the day. It'll start with Eugene Asante, the four-star outside linebacker from Westfield High School in Chantilly, Virginia. Unfortunately, Max Press with no stats available for him, but a guy that, as we mentioned, he's going to fit the mold of what Bateman wants. Tons of speed, can cover sideline to sideline, fantastic open field tackler. The questions are probably going to be a size. That was one of the reasons they were kind of worried about making him a four-star now. Of course, he's moved up there. According to 24-7 Sports, he's only 6'1", 2'12", but it seems like he fits either that linebacker position or that hybrid position in Jay Bateman's defense and not really seen as a coverage guy on tape, but we'll see maybe if that develops in his time there. Took a visit over the weekend. They said they really liked it. Family really enjoyed it, and now, you know, the Heels being the last team that got a shot at him for an official visit is encouraging, Virginia Tech is probably still seen as the leader, but I think it's probably a slight leader at this point. It'll be either Carolina or Virginia Tech that will land his services. Then you turn to the three-star defensive tackle from Charlotte, or from the Matthews area, actually, in Covenant Day High School defensive tackle Wisdom Osiburro, guy that reclassified, was supposed to be in the 2020 class. Now he's going to go into the 2019 class, so he's very raw. He's got great size, and he has the power. He has the ability to overpower weaker offensive guards. You kind of wonder if that was why he was so successful at a level of football, you know, kind of mid-level, a you know, um, private school type football, so not quite the same level as some of the other guys that will be coming out of the Charlotte area, but still has pretty good size for a small school junior. Um, Stands straight up out of his stance, so that's something they're going to have to work on, but good speed that could allow him to be effective as a defensive end if they end up wanting to move him there. It'll be interesting. Carolina is considered the leader for him by a large margin. Canceled a visit to Penn State this past weekend, so it's pretty much Carolina or no one for him at this point, although he could win wait they have rumored that he could wait until later on in the spring to sign since he did reclassify but I'd be shocked if he doesn't pick Carolina on Wednesday meanwhile you have two guys out of the state of Alabama it'll be started with the three-star strong side defensive end Michael Lockhart out of Huffman High School a guy that had 37 tackles 10 tackles for loss and five sacks a year ago he's got the size at 6'5 250 to play on the defensive line most likely would be a defensive end and he has the ability to play defensive tackle and defensive end at the high school level, again, might not have the size to be there in the college level. Meanwhile, uh, height also has caused some problems for some of the quarterbacks that he faced. Has a solid swim move that allows him to be effective as a pass rusher, so we'll see if maybe he's able to sort of refine that as he goes along. But he is a little bit slow off the line, so they will probably definitely try to hammer that home. Meanwhile, three-star cornerback Colin Duncan at a St. James school in Montgomery, Alabama. He has eight career interceptions, but five of them came out as a sophomore, so only three over his final two seasons. He played six Safety for most of his senior year, so that might be one of the reasons why the production isn't there in terms of interceptions. But a guy that is a little bit slower, according to his 40 time, actually tested out at an opening event. In, uh, I think it was in Alabama actually, um, where that opening event was at. Uh, so we tested at a 486, which is pretty slow, but seems to be a guy that plays a little bit faster in game. That is something that I wouldn't be overly concerned about once you put his tape on. He's a hard hitter in the open field, something that Carolina would like to have on the back end, and something that, you know, Jay Bateman really thrived on having at Army. Um, despite the speed concerns, he's able to close in on routes pretty quickly. So good closing speed, that's what you want to see from your safeties, especially if they get beat over the top. You want to see them be able to make up some of that ground and cause issues to wide receivers as opposed to allowing them to just catch it and run without a problem. Also, good open field tackler. So, um, I think when you look at these two right now, it's Mississippi State were Caroline I think Carolina is kind of in the background for them. For Lockhart, Carolina is pretty much the third team behind both Mississippi State and Georgia Tech. But that shouldn't shock anyone. We've already got four guys committed at the strong side defensive end position alone in this class. So. I, don't be shocked if he goes elsewhere, and don't be shocked if Mississippi State is also the place that Duncan goes. Um, one of the last guys that we'll mention, and then we'll also mention another guy that's kind of off the radar, but people are still saying to keep an eye on Octavius Brothers, the three-star outside linebacker from Rockledge High School, same high school that Antone Green came from last year. Uh, this year, finished with 92 total tackles, five interceptions, three pass def- or 13 pass deflections, excuse me, two forced fumbles, one sack. He is probably the most athletic guy that Carolina still has on uh, amongst their targets on the board, um, because he did play linebacker. Nickel even played a little bit of outside corner this past season. Also played wide receiver, so he's a guy that's been on the offensive side of the ball. That could definitely help him as opposed, you know, to some of the other guys that haven't played the offensive side of the ball. He's got a little bit of a better knowledge of what he's going to be looking at from the other teams. Maybe able to make adjustments in game. Um, really a strong open field tackler once again, and also a special team standout. We know that Carolina has loved those guys over the past few years, and that's where Cole Holcomb made his name before of course sliding in and becoming a starter um, once he was offered a scholarship position the last guy to keep an eye on will be five-star offensive tackle darnell wright he is pretty much slated to go to tennessee but it is said that he is not considered 100 percent there there are still some people that think there is a chance that he could surprise people and go somewhere else now the fact that he didn't take an official visit to carolina probably would have you leaning the other direction but if they were to end up getting him he does have the connection of course with Billy Ross who went to the same high school in Huntington, West Virginia. He's got uh, the size to play at any level to college. I mean he will fit in in the SEC if he goes to Tennessee powerful first punch great hand placement um, really just a guy that mauls people in run blocking situations. I mean defensive ends stand no chance against this mountain and I mean when you look at him really even in pass protection he moves pretty well for a guy that's as big as he is. So those are the guys to keep an eye on. The question that I'll ask you going into signing day on Wednesday, what do you think the biggest position of need still is for the Heels at this point? Linebacker. Okay, anything else to expand there? Uh, I mean... You, you asked for
0: you, you asked for a position. I, well, you, you, what a what an analysis, What what a breakdown, bud. You said you, you said you needed a <laughs> I'm position. Just I gave that's you, a good point. I gave you the position, point. which is the linebacker position, because we've just we've got to get the right kind of players for Bateman's system. I've been begging to have linebacker play like we had in the Butch Davis era, where they were going sideline to sideline and making tackles in the open field and being active in the running game and not watching them get outrun by tight ends like Cole Holcomb and Jeff Schottmer. Right. So that's why i would say linebacker with with a strong uh with a strong opinion.
1: Would you also say that lack of depth is also one yeah. of the reasons that you got to have someone in there because i mean carolina at this point is probably looking at having a a, a former walk on i think he i mean he's not gotten a scholarship to this point, but a guy that came in last year as a walk-on in Dylan Gonzalez, he's probably going to be on the two-deep, maybe at best, the three-deep, so you got a guy that they're that thin right now at linebacker, so I'm with you. I think linebacker and then defensive tackle I think is another position because you lost a lot of guys due to graduation as well, so getting Ossoboro I think would help there. We'll focus on the defensive line as we turn to uh, what will be our debatable topic here today. We'll go a little bit back and forth on this one and we turn to the defensive line we go back into the late 90s to talk about julius peppers who of course retired from the nfl the other day uh, actually on thursday after 17 seasons in the nfl just a phenomenal career for him of course spanning 10 years in carolina then had four years with the bears despite signing a six-year contract of course they cut him went to green bay for three years so Overall, kind of bounced back and forth a little bit, but finished his career where he started it right here in the Charlotte area with the Carolina Panthers. Was drafted, of course, number two in the draft. And when you look at some of his stats throughout his career, he finished with 724 total tackles, 175 tackles for loss, 159.5 sacks. 52 forced fumbles, 21 fumble recoveries, 11 interceptions, and 82 career pass deflections as of his retirement. Peppers is currently second in NFL histories in tackle for loss. Of course, that was not a stat that was taken until 1999. Also, is fourth in sacks in his career. That's definitely impressive considering some of the guys that are up towards the top there. And then, you know, some of the weirder stats, if you want to get into that. Peppers is second all-time behind Ron McDole, former Washington Redskin, in career interceptions by a defensive lineman, and is also second all-time in pass deflections by a defensive lineman behind only the Hall of Famer Jason Taylor. So we can agree, right, first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's no touching that. The, where we disagree a little bit, and this is hard for me because I'm a Giant fan, but I truly believe when you look at these two and you compare both the college career and the NFL career, I think that Julius Pepper's career might be a little bit more impressive than Lawrence Taylor's career. It's close. But I think, you know, you look at just how effective Julius Peppers was from the time that he stepped on campus at Carolina. I mean, now this was a guy that came on campus, was expected to play tight end, but was behind Algie Crumpler and uh, a couple other guys. Moved to defensive end because pretty much he thought it'd be fun to play the defensive end position like he did in high school. And his first year was a guy that was an all ACC guy. And made an impact immediately, and then had one of, if not the greatest seasons for a pass rusher in ACC history in 2000 where he finished with 15 sacks. Um, also, I think it was, I don't have the stats written down, but I believe it was 23 tackles for loss as well. Just a ridiculous number. Somehow was only a second-team All-American that year, but then in his final year in 01, he went in, uh, didn't have quite the same numbers that year. I think finished with 13 sacks that year, or maybe it was a little bit lower than that. I think it might have been might have been significantly lower than that. might have been around nine and a half. Um but he ends up being a first-team All-American, being a first-team All-ACC guy, and actually finished 10th in the Heisman that year, in the Heisman voting, actually, um, I think did receive a few Heisman votes there. Um, you disagree with me, though. This is hard for you, because you're a Dallas Cowboy fan. You think that LT clearly had the more impressive career. I, I will throw this out there as well. Uh, LT 132.5 half. Sacks to Peppers one fifty nine point and a half. So, I mean, what? I, I know you were pretty
0: adamant about this. Well, he when we were discussing this earlier. There's no Julius Peppers without uh, Lawrence Taylor. Like. Lawrence Taylor allowed Julius Peppers to be a guy where you got paid millions of dollars to rush the quarterback. Because back even like even when LT was in the league, your defensive linemen were still to be you know, all four defensive linemen played the run. Like I know in Dallas' system, like now we some of them play the run. Some of them rush the passer. Like he altered the way you coached the defensive line and even your linebacker position because he would also stand out and sometimes drop back into pressure. But he was mainly there to stand up and go get the quarterback. Um, I know he didn't have the sack numbers that Pepper's has, but I mean he was just he dominated games yeah. at a level that you didn't really see yet defensively. At that time, like, were you literally? Yep, we got we got to take this one guy away. Like, I think it would have been fun to see, like, let's say Bill Belichick try to scheme against him. You know what I'm saying? Because like, he that's didn't what have he, to. He was actually coaching exactly. But you know what I was getting at? Because yeah. you know, oh, that's, yeah, he's oh, so I gotcha. that, that's what he's so good at, and. You know, like it sucks because you know Taylor, yeah, played for the Giants and kicked my Cowboys' his butt for a decade. But you know, it, it is what it is. You know, you got to give prompts where props have to be given to. Um, he wanted, he did win championships. Julius Peppers did not. I mean, that that factors into your career when you're that good at what you do. Um, Peppers played in was it one Super Bowl? Yeah, played it only yeah, one. O- only one. made the oh, one Super Bowl four. with yep. Carolina. So, um, and and really, if we're being honest, after he like once he left for Chicago, was never lived up to the contract, and then Green Bay, just was was they they preserved enough to get enough out of him. Like freak of a nature because he's thirty eight years old and was still getting to the quarterback. But I would still take Lawrence Taylor any uh, before I take Julius Peppers. I get what you're saying with the
1: argument about how LT changed the position, but really isn't there a guy kind of at every position in the NFL that changed and and made that position into what it is today if we're being really honest especially, I mean, quarterback with, you know, the spread offenses, I mean, Tom Brady is probably the guy that has made that into what it is today, but we're not saying that, I mean, who knows, eventually someone could be better than him, I don't think that's gonna happen if we're being real honest, I mean, if there's someone that's gonna make 12 Super Bowls Tell me now Tell me now Dak Prescott Oh that's a good joke Right there Come on that's that's a joke. He's got to win a he's got to win another playoff game before <laughs> we can give him that. Let's let's relax there. But uh, no, I mean you know I feel like there that that's kind of at every position. And I wonder you know did Peppers maybe take it a, a, a step further? I mean I don't know. I, I think it's it's definitely a good argument between the two of them. The other reason that I would lean with Peppers is I think I mean look he had every year but one he had five or more sacks. Even when you say, well, his production really wasn't all that good in Green Bay or with Chicago, he still averaged about nine sacks a year, which is pretty good. I mean, that is some that is really good numbers for a guy that, you know, really I, I just think kind of flew under the radar with some of the great pass rushers that we've had in, in this generation. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, J.J. Watt. Everybody likes to talk about, you know, some of the other guys in the league like Terrell Suggs, who's been at it for a while. You know, he was never really one of those guys that I thought throughout the league was seen as a guy that was just dominant. And those – I mean, look, last year, 2017, as a 38-year-old guy, he went out there and played – he only started in five games, and he finished with 11 sacks, which was one of the better numbers in the league. And, I mean, for his usage, it had to be – I think it had to be the, the, the best – Sack to snap ratio in the league, so he. I mean, he just he tore it up for so long, and he was a guy that I mean, you know, we we all just know he, he was he was just a freak of nature with the athleticism. I mean, you talked about it, and I mean, look, you, you should. I mean, you know clearly, he played for bowl on uh, a team that went to the final four. He's one of the. Him and Donovan McNabb are the only guys to actually do that, and I believe he's the only one to actually play in a Final Four game. Donovan McNabb was on the team in 96 with Beheim, but didn't play. Whereas Peppers was on the team in 99 with Bill Guthridge and did play, he was actually a pretty significant part of some of those teams at Carolina in the late 90s. And then, of course, also was a significant part of Matt Doherty's first team. So, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's a good argument. I think the fact that we get to argue about that, everybody always talks about, you know, oh, it's, it's a great argument to have that, you know, for the basketball team, that we have all these great point guards, that we have – all these great head coaches that we've had here. It's its pretty cool that now the football team has to say, hey, well, we got these two great pass rushers, maybe two. I mean, I know LT is probably seen as the best linebacker in the history of the game. Whether or not, you know, that's another debatable topic as well. And then the same, I mean, Peppers, I'm not going to say he's the best, but in the modern era, he's got to be somewhere near the top. So... It's great to be able to discuss that, and uh, that's something that, you know, we, we want to hear from you guys on that. I mean, who do you guys think is the better of the two? Do you think that it was Lawrence Taylor? And we're talking college and NFL careers combined. Do you think it was Lawrence Taylor, or do you think it was Julius Peppers? You guys can, of course, hit us up um, at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter with your answers for that, or you can hit us up at FutureTarheel for me or at Josh marlowe 5 for him, so... I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Any last uh, supporting of the Giants? Because I can't get enough of this. I'm not going to lie.
0: No, no more positive (laughs) things to be said about the the, the Giants.
1: All right, man. So that means we're going to get to the 40-yard dash segment right here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's time for the 40-yard dash on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. So we'll start by getting into some news about, you know, we were talking about edge rushers that were in the NFL. We got another one that's going to be trying to get his NFL career started in Malik Carney. And the other day he did receive an invite to the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis this year. So a big chance for him to go down there and show what he's got. He's a guy that's kind of gotten a little bit of recent I I mean, people have started taking notice of him after he was down at the Shrine game. His stocks had a little bit of a boost, so this will be a really good chance for him to show out in what is just a loaded pass-rushing class, and if he can make a name for himself, it's going to be down there at the scouting combine amongst all those other guys. To this point, Anthony Ratliff-Williams has not received one, but one would expect that he will eventually receive one because he's seen right now as a late third-round, probably early fourth-round grade. So bouncing back and forth between that day two, day three type of guy. Uh, one of the guys that's still on the roster and will actually stay on the defensive line, Alan Cater. He is slowly recovering from an injury. This according to Andrew Jones, who we talked about a little earlier of Tar Heel Illustrated. It is believed that right now he is going to miss all of spring camp, but he could be back in time for fall camp, targeting sometime in August to come back from what was a brutal leg injury last year, of course, in the game against Syracuse. He's a guy that's going to be counted on pretty heavily this year with Malik going. Going to the NFL, as well as Tyler Powell, who is a guy that, as you guys know, bounced back and forth between defensive end and defensive tackle. So, in his absence, guys like Chris Collins, guys like Jake Lawler, those are the guys that are going to have to step up, and we'll see if those guys, you know, just how much of a role they're able to play, as well as Tyrone Hopper, who, you know, we don't really know where he's going to be in this defense, could be a 3 4 outside linebacker or uh, kick inside to that defensive end spot. Uh, One of the other storylines that a lot of people are talking about, Billy High ended up getting hired uh, away from Auburn as the assistant athletic director and director of recruiting. Now, it is a step up for him, but as Mack Brown said in the video about the high hire, and then uh, some of the other guys have said around college football, this is one of those young guys that is really making an impression on a lot of people on the recruiting trail. So once again, Mac Brown continuing to show how dedicated he is to recruiting. And Billy High, I think, is another fantastic hire. You get him away from Auburn, And, of course, you get him while he's still young, a guy that's going to have a ton of energy on the recruiting trail and a guy that, you know, at Auburn for the most part in the last two years has helped to put together a pretty solid team out there in the SEC. Of course, you guys probably don't remember at this point, but – uh, two years ago now, not last season. Last season was an off year. Of course, two years ago, they got into the SEC championship game now against Georgia and uh, unfortunately fell short. But that year, of course, beat Bama. So that's a team that still, you know, he did a pretty good job in helping to build. Maurice Sims will join uh, the staff as the assistant strength and conditioning coach, formerly worked under Brian Hess at Army, which continues to show that this team is focused on building this defense because you've got the strength and conditioning coaches pretty much the ones that he wanted to come with him from Army. Uh, also A.J. Blue is expected to return. I think John Heck is actually going to come on, which if anybody's seen John Heck, that's pretty good. That's what we need our offensive linemen to look like right there. So that strength and conditioning staff is in place. Um, Sims also was at North Carolina and t and was part of the turnaround there under head coach Rod Broadway. Speaking of Rod Broadway, him as, long, as well as Paul Miller, they will be heading to the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Team. Rod Broadway, of course, he was an all-ACC defensive lineman for the Heels back in 1977, but most people will remember him for his time as a head coach. He was 125 and 45 as a head coach, including five black national titles between three different schools. He had one at North Carolina Central, three at Grambling State, headlined by the 2008 season that many remember, and then, of course, at North Carolina A&T 1-1 there as well, and, of course, coached now current, Uh, Chicago Bears running back Tariq Cohen um, on his way to the NFL. So Paul Miller, uh, he's also going in all ACC football and all ACC academic honors in 1971 through for 2,072 yards, 18 touchdowns and 13 interceptions on 54.4% passing in two years as a starter in Chapel Hill. Very different era, but a guy that uh, is one of the more I think forgotten quarterbacks when it comes to Carolina lore, but a guy that was an all ACC guy. And now um, combined with the fact that he was a three sports star uh, in high school at Aiden high school here in North Carolina, he will be headed to the North Carolina hall of fame. So that is going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap this thing up really quickly?
0: I'm all talked out today, man.
1: You have done your uh, your part for sure, man. You've been talking all day. So let me hog the mic here a little bit. But uh, yeah, no, of course, I want to encourage you guys. Go ahead and check out the sister podcast of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. That's the Roy's Boys Podcast. Also got the blog written by this man over here. Some great stuff coming up. Carolina's in the thick of their conference season right now. And of course, March is rolling around. So some great storylines will be coming out for that. But In the meantime, if you want to stick with football for just a little bit longer, we've got the Heel Tough blog, which will get you prepped for signing day, read a little more in depth about the guys that we talked about a little bit on the show, see what we could be getting in these guys and the potential for these guys to come to Carolina. I'll go a little bit more in depth than I went on the podcast. Also, some other great stuff up there. You can check out some of those other weekly storylines that we've had, a couple of them that didn't end up getting in to the 40-yard dash that might your interest just a little bit and uh, also we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast you can do it on Spreaker iTunes Google Play Spotify iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. There's so many places that you guys can listen so I encourage you to subscribe and if you want to throw a review in there as well, go ahead and do it for us. We'd really appreciate it. So, that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Want to thank you guys for listening as always and as always Go Tar Heels!